Good morning. Man, it is an honor and a privilege that we get to come in here and worship together as a body of believers, worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. Those of you joining us online, those of you in person, there really is nothing like coming together in the atmosphere of worship when we get to worship the King. And another uh, aspect of our life as a follower of Jesus that we get to do is we get to model our life after Christ. And one of those elements is Jesus showed us in the waters of baptism the importance of going public with our faith. And so this morning we get the privilege uh, to baptize some individuals this morning. And one of my favorite things that happened in the baptism of water with Jesus in Matthew chapter three, you see that Jesus comes up out of the water and the spirit descends on him like a dove and you hear the Father in heaven say, this is my son in who I'm well pleased. And this morning we have several individuals getting baptized, several children getting baptized. And all I see is when they come up out of the waters of baptism this morning, going public with their faith, I know the Father in heaven, angels in heaven celebrating, the Father in heaven is saying, this is my son, this is my daughter in who I'm well pleased. So right here we have a few getting baptized this morning, so excited. Come on, can we give it up for those that are gonna get baptized this morning? We are so proud of you, and I know your families are so proud of you, and we're excited to celebrate with you as a church as we get to watch you go public with your faith. There's nothing holy about this water. It's Lufkin water, we all know that, and we all know Lufkin water isn't holy, but what is special about this moment is this is you saying, I'm gonna do my very best to live for Jesus. I'm, I'm going public, I'm gonna tell everybody, my family, my friends, this church, everybody around about my faith in Jesus. So we ask you two questions before you go into the waters of baptism. And, and that first question is this, have you given your life to Jesus? If so, say yes. Awesome. And the second question is, we see Jesus model the, the best way that we could ever live. And we're not perfect, we're not gonna be Jesus, but do you, are you gonna try to live your life to the very best Christ-like character, conviction, and conduct? Are you gonna do your best to make your life look like Jesus? If so, say yes. Awesome, well today it's our privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. We're so excited to do that with you this morning. And hey, as we worship this morning, let's celebrate with everybody getting baptized this morning.
read Psalms 150 that says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds and praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sounds. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. If there is breath in your lungs, you are more than capable of lifting up the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can we do that this morning together as we declare that there's no one like you, Jesus? church today we are one church in many locations right now at the same time we're at the Nacogdoches location we are online we are at Duncan and Die Ball units and hey I just want to say welcome to church let's welcome everybody to church this morning we are so thrilled that you chose to spend your Sunday with us and in my opinion there's no better place no better place in East Texas than to spend your, your uh, time here worshiping the King in community with each other. Just an incredible place to be. Hey, we just want to say thank you this morning. I'm reminded of a, a, a certain individual in the Bible named Apostle Paul. And, and really, Paul is a huge 
catalyst for the reason that we have the church today. And he was an incredible missionary that went all over Eastern Asia and, and just planted church after church after church, went to prison many, many times. Um, but it's because of the generosity of the churches that, that surrounded him, the, the churches that supported him, that he was able to create what we call community destinations where people can find and follow Jesus. And I wanna read a verse to you real quick in Philippians. It's where he's saying thank you uh, for the partnership. Thank you for the gratitude of, of churches around him. And he says this in Philippians 4.18. He says, at the moment, I have all that I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me. There's a sweet smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And what he's saying is, I have what I need in order to create these destinations. I have what I need that I'm able to go on to the next city, the next location. I'm able to create this next location and this next community destination so that people can truly find and follow Jesus. And in the same way, just a couple thousand years later, we have a vision of creating community destinations where people can find and follow Jesus here in the timber country of East Texas. And it's because of your generosity that we're doing that and that we're able to do that. And that we're gonna be constantly adding newer and, and, and different locations because of your generosity. So we just wanna say thank you this morning for your generosity. It really is because of you that we're able to advance the kingdom of God in the way that we do. Those of you that are joining us online, those of you that are in person, we've got several ways that you can give this morning. You can give on our app, Timber Creek Church app. If you don't have that app, that's a great resource for you. We try to give you everything that you need throughout the week so that you can go back and check out the message. It's got the notes on it. It's got everything that you can need, but you can also give on it. You can give at timbercreesearch.com or you can give uh, in the seat back pocket in front of you. There's, uh, you can give in the uh, generosity boxes on your way out the door today. But we just wanna say thank you for all that you're doing and all that you're doing to help us create community destinations where anyone can find and follow Jesus, amen? Amen. Hey, we are so excited to continue our series. I hope you've enjoyed this series, Shadow King. Uh, it's a good one, and I'm excited for today's message. It's going to be great. Hey, grab your seat, and uh, as we continue our series, Shadow King. Welcome you to week two of the Shadow King. This is a deep dive, drilling very deep. The Bible is very wide and also incredibly deep. And out of the 66 books of the Bible, we're going to be really drilling into just three or four of them uh, with uh, the books of Samuel, Chronicles, and Judges as we go through this biopic of, of course, a larger-than-life character, King David. 
King David, uh, outside of his own story we mentioned last week, is mentioned 182 times in the Old Testament and 59 in the New. There is a, a whole lot of understanding God through understanding David. And David's story isn't there to point us towards becoming like David. Uh, David's story is there to point us to become more like Jesus, the true shadow king. See, all of these elements leading up from the garden to the book of Revelation is all signaling Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And we're going to learn from the courage and the controversy. And what's so important, as I mentioned last week, if you're joining us for the first time or, the, uh, or a fresh time, uh, we've got to be careful. Don't you dare put David in a suit and tie like he's some Billy Graham doing a crusade. Like David is dirty. Da David is like uh, uh, Doc Holliday, Wyatt Earp meets, uh, I don't even know, uh, meets some kind of um, crazy uh, mercenary guerrilla warrior, okay? This guy is not a American 21st century middle-class Republican uh, in, from Texas, I'll call you and whatnot. He is, he is raw, he is real, and he's got some shadows and he's got some incredible successes. For every Goliath, there's gonna be a shadow of a Bathsheba. For every single act of compassion, there will be a slaughtering. For every spirit-led poem, even the one we just read earlier to celebrate uh, worship that David would write, there's going to be breaking the laws of God and man, and yet we know him as a man after God's heart. And that's not the title that... That's not the title that we gave David. That's the title God gives David. And what's encouraging in this series, as we go through a character study, I'm not interested in just giving you, I mean, I'm gonna give you geography. I'm gonna give you some, some thoughts on kingdom rule and, and the breaking between the northern and southern kingdoms and, and different, different kings you may never even have heard of and certain Jewish traditions and Jewish laws that will open the story in a different way than you ever heard. But it's not about giving more information and knowledge and just inspiring you. It's to connect the dots. It's to apply the truth of God's word to everyday life and then become different because of the word. The word transforms us from the inside out. So I, 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 maybe if all you get, if all you get is just information on the Amalekites and the Edomites, I will have failed on my side. I will have not done my job to give you the right handlebars. But if we'll all open our hearts and our eyes to receive what God wants to say, there's some, some powerful everyday truth in this powerful everyday man who had huge success and huge shadows. Today, I've entitled the message, Establishing Shot. In cinematography, when there is a sitcom or a boardroom meeting or something happening down in a cave, usually an establishing shot will show something on the external so that it gives you a little bit of a, a, a reality around what's happening. So when, when Full House is around the kitchen table, you'll see the outside San Francisco shot of all those houses and then it goes into uh, the kitchen. Before you ever go into the coffee shop and you see Ross and Rachel Rachel and Chandler, you see the establishing shot of Central Perk Cafe. Before Kevin gets lost in all the shuffle of the crazy Christmas season, I was actually in Chicago a few weeks ago, got to take a picture of the establishing shot that was, of course, home alone. Many of you may recognize this establishing shot. For some of you, that's Thanksgiving with in-laws. That's your establishing shot. No, that's Psycho. <laughs> 
everything happens inside the Bates Motel. Today, for the establishing shot of King David, before he's ever born, we're backing up several hundred years before David even enters the scene. And this part of the series of Shadow King, this kind of Part one is called origin stories. So we're leading up to the origin story. Next week, Saul will come onto the scene. And then in the first week of May, we will finally see a little boy named David and what God is gonna do with a small boy at 14 years old and how he's gonna take him through the waiting room and through the process of becoming the true king of Israel. But the, the establishing shot is really for us not so much a, a house or a, or, or a palace or a, a pasture. The establishing shot is the book of Judges. Now, when I say Judges, you think this. Don't think, don't think Judy Shilin. Don't think. Don't think Wapner. Don't think People's Court. Don't think Judge Judy. Think the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is not about a gavel. And the book of Judges is not about black robes and people standing on, on some kind of courtroom. Uh, really, Judges simply means it's better understood for you and me to be a book of not just Judges, but really, write it down, a book of Saviors. That these were Saviors that God would give as shadow Saviors to a nation that he's trying to show, you cannot survive without me. You can try, you can do it your own way. But when I'm not in the center, havoc is coming to your door. Uh, uh, death is coming to your door. Uh, oppression and, and sickness and disease spiritually is coming to your door. And so the book of saviors is about how God will lead a specific person, a man and women, men and women as leaders for the nation of Israel, anointed, spirit filled by God to help them go through a process of trying to figure out who God is and who they are in God. Now he would bring these saviors, why? Because they need saving. So the question I wanna ask today is why did Israel need saving? Why did Israel need saving? Because when you go to the book of Judges, God had already saved them in an unbelievable way. You back up the Bible to Exodus where the tribes of Israel, Jacob, his name was changed to Israel, he had 12 sons. Over the, course of son, uh, over the course of time, those 12 sons migrated to Egypt because the second to the youngest, Joseph, became the viceroy over Egypt. And because Joseph was in power and Joseph was giving them favor, he had all of his brothers, even though they had betrayed him, he went from Potiphar's house to the prison, then finally to the palace under Pharaoh, but they had betrayed him, he gave them a second chance, he shows them he's part of this salvation moment that God is showing us in the picture of God all throughout the Bible, that Jesus is a better, Jesus is a better Joseph, that he forgives you no matter what you've done, no matter how you've betrayed him, even if you don't even realize it. Jesus is the, is the greater Joseph. But as the nation of Israel is, is, is in Egypt, they get bigger and bigger and bigger, they are, they are being fruitful and multiplying to the point where Pharaoh starts getting a little intimidated because they're outnumbering the Egyptians by a whole lot. He starts thinking if they get too big, they're going to overthrow us. So he has to oppress them. Not only does he oppress them and enslave them and scare them and lead them with a heavy hand and fear, but he forces mass infanticide the same way that Herod did when Jesus was born. 
He forces infanticide. He kills all the baby boys of Israel to, to slow down their reproduction process, to slow down their generations. But I'm going to tell you, whatever God starts, only he can stop it. The enemy's not going to stop a thing, everybody. Jesus is in control. Many times when, when people get praying and they get, they get powerful, they start binding the devil. It's okay to say, devil, you got no authority here. But can I tell you, there's so much more power in the name of Jesus. Ought to be praying the name of Jesus way more than you're ever trying to pray the name of the devil or Satan or anything like that. Binding this, binding that. Jesus is the one who we go to. He's the source of our stability, our prosperity, our power, our strength. Are you with me this morning? Are you awake, Nacogdoches? Are you awake, Lufkin? So that's it. Thank you, three people. All right. So why does Israel need saving? Because the Pharaoh put the hard hand on them, and yet God saved them out of Egypt. But then they were going to go to a promised land. But they wouldn't trust God first. And so God had to teach them how to trust him first by having them wander. It would have only geographically taken them about eight weeks to get to the promised land. But instead, they wandered in the desert for 40 years because God was burning off an older generation, bringing on a newer generation, and trying to prepare them to be equipped and discipled and ready to go, not only politically, emotionally, relationally, but spiritually, sovereignly with the one true God. Why did Israel need saving? Because they had wandered, they had been exodus, they tried to go to the promised land, they wouldn't do it, they wouldn't trust God, they had to wonder. And then when they're getting ready to go in, they had these three issues that they dealt with. This is why they need saving. And I wonder if you can connect the dots on some of these realities in our culture, in our wandering as well. The first one is this. It's the influence of an environment. They're in the wandering before they go to the promised land. They sit everybody down in the book of Exodus. They say, hey, look. Uh, before they get out of Egypt, uh, God gives these four promises to Moses. He says, here's what I wanna do for the Israelites. I'm the Lord and here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This is huge. These four promises are huge in the lifeblood of Timber Creek Church. Everything we do surrounds these four promises because these four promises just aren't in the book of Exodus. They are said differently, but they are all through the Bible. I've seen over 40 different times where these four promises are mentioned all throughout the scripture from Old Testament to New Testament. And the environment, God knows environment's important. Environment's important. He says, I'm the Lord your God and I wanna bring you out of the wrong environment, out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And not only do I wanna bring you out, here's the next promise. I'm gonna free you from being slaves to them. Now stop. If they're brought out, are they not slaves? They're, they're not slaves anymore. Isn't that a little redundant? I'll bring you out and I'll free you? Well, by bringing you out, aren't you already free? Here was the problem with the Israelites and here's the problem with us. Just because they were brought out of Egypt, it doesn't mean that the Egypt was out of them. Many times what can happen is we get saved and we are free. But we don't live free because some of the habits, hangups and customs and traditions and the things we've picked up over time, we're free, but we don't act free. We're free, but we don't live free. We're brought out but God wants to bring the stuff out of us too. You're saved. Being free from a bunch of stuff isn't what gets you to heaven. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is what gives you access to heaven. But you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be water baptized in one of our baptism services and still with the wrong thinking that's never transformed, you can be saved and on your way to heaven, but there can be some hangups and habits that are keeping you from truly living the freedom that Jesus intended you to live. 
And so God gives us these promise. I'll bring you out. I'll free you. And then what I'm going to do is redeem you. There's this exchange going. Every time we go to Houston, my wife finds an excuse to take either to get something or to exchange to redeem something. It's just, it's a gift. She's got the spiritual gift of shopping. Shop till you drop. She brings a defibrillator just in case. I will redeem you. I will do a beautiful exchange from, from ashes to beauty, from mourning and grieving to dancing in oil of joy. Like that's the redemption quality of Jesus. What an incredible exchange that Jesus gives us. I'll redeem you and then I'm gonna take you as my people. So this is the story of the Israelites becoming the people of God. Bring you out, free you, redeem you. And then let's be a people of God that put me first. How about it, everybody? And they say, okay. And they says, now listen, if you're gonna do this and we're gonna cross over, God says, this is what I wanna do, but you gotta drive out. You gotta drive out all of the enemy, all of the opposition so that you don't pick up the wrong habits and, and, pick, and, and customs. I'm not gonna bring you out, free you, redeem you, and take you as my people in the suburbs of Egypt. I'm gonna take you and you've, this has gotta, gotta become your land. You've gotta push away. You've gotta create strong boundary lines between you and the enemy, between you. And so when Israel became strong, they went into the promised land and they pressed the Canaanites. Those were the existing people group at the time. God had already promised them the land. They were taking back the land. God had already promised. The Canaanites were there. He's gonna push the Canaanites out. When Israel became strong, they began to do it. And you would think that hopefully the next scripture would say, and they did it, everybody. But instead, the next line says, but they never drove them out completely. And it was, the, it was an environment that they begin to live in. As Israel began to set up camp in the promised land, they pushed the Canaanites, um, but they didn't drive them out completely. And so they left to their north, the Ammonites. If you understand the Middle East at all, there's a place, Ammon, Jordan. This comes from uh, generations down to the Ammonites. They were from the north. They were they were not allies, but they were not enemies. Like, you, you stay on your side of the lawn, I'll stay on my side of the lawn, okay? Don't build your fence on my property line. I, I, won't, I won't be loud with the music after 11 o'clock at night, okay? Like, they're okay, they've got boundaries, they're all right. To the east, or pardon me, to the south were the Amalekites. Amalekites, they some bad mamma jammas, okay? Like, these are Vikings uh, spit in their beard, ah, horns on their head. They were out to take as much land as possible. They were ruthless and bloodthirsty. There are several stories of them uh, attacking and, and raping the Israelite women, uh, killing their children, taking some of their young boys and turning them into Amalekites. Uh, Amalekites were an incredible, dirty enemy to Israel. On the east is the Edomites. Now, Edomites, that Edom, uh, it actually means red, not like read a book, but like the color red. And interestingly enough, the Edomites come from a line. So here, here's what happens. Let me, let me show you this in, this in the story of God without getting you too confused. Huge major player in the story of God is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are three generations. Abraham, though, takes matters into his own hands, wants to be king, and instead of waiting on the promise of God, he has relationships with Hagar, and they have Ishmael. Instead of waiting for Isaac, they have Ishmael. Isaac and Ishmael, even to this day in the Middle East, are at odds. Isaac will bring the line of Israel. Ishmael brings 
uh, a whole different line of Canaanites. Also in the son Israel, Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob is a twin brother to a boy named Esau. Esau's the oldest, Jacob's the youngest. Esau's supposed to have the birthright, but Jacob gets it. Esau, his name means red. Anybody have more than one kid? Any, any family had more than one kid? It's the truth. Sometimes you have a baby and they are beautiful. They come out beautiful. And then the next child comes out and you're like, no, not so much. Okay. Both of my kids are beautiful now. <laughs> now. Sage was a beautiful baby. Like came out just like perfect. Graham. Uh, I was like, Janet, is this my baby? <laughs> I know it's yours because I just watched the whole thing. I know it's your baby. Is it my baby? Hey, here's a pastor trick. If you ever want to go into ministry and you go see families after COVID's all you know, up and you go see families after they had a child, and you, you know, there's two things you say every time you see a baby, two things you can say. If they're beautiful, you say, oh, thank God for a beautiful baby. You know? And um, if they're not, you say, oh, thank God for this baby. <laughs> you know? Is it? Anyway. Um, <laughs> So if I ever visited you, say, oh, thank God for this baby. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Every single one of yours are beautiful. Mine, not so much. But moving on. What I'm trying to say with all of that craziness, the Edomites were from Esau. The enemies of Israel were from Esau. Esau and Jacob, they, they were two twins. There was no, nothing wrong with that. But there was fighting between Jacob and Esau. I'm telling you, whenever we want to take matters into our own hands, it creates havoc. It creates problems. It creates consequences that you may have to deal with. You may be free from some stuff. You may be forgiven of some stuff. It doesn't mean that there ever won't be consequences to those actions. And so here to the west is the Philistines. The Philistines are the more popular eins, okay, because uh, we know of a very famous one that puts David on the stage of human history, and that is Goliath was a Philistine. You can also hear a little bit of phonetics, a little bit of language there, Palestine. Palestine in the Middle East are descendants of the Philistines. Now, the Philistines are the strongest enemy against Israel right now because of something they invented. They had the patent on this invention that made them the strongest military presence in the Middle East. Because they're living in the Bronze Age, everybody has bronze swords. But the Philistines figured out how to forge weaponry out of iron. And they were the birthing of the Iron Age. And the iron, the iron was much stronger. When you had a bronze sword against an iron sword, you couldn't withstand too many strong blows with an iron sword. And so it just, they became the influential force of the Middle East. And what we have here is not clear borders because they didn't drive them out completely. Israel's scattered around all this. Israel's kind of all up in the middle. And it was the influence of an environment. This, the, I, I don't invite you to keep your kids consistent in church because we want to have good numbers in KidWorks. It's because they are inundated with an environment every single day. Every day. Today. They are influenced with enemies that are not that identifiable and they're sitting in their tablet or in their smartphone in their pocket right now. This was one of the issues why Israel needed saving. 
the influence of the wrong environment. But number two, it was the inadequate equipping of the next generation. To make matters worse, Moses gave it really clear the way they were to equip them, but they didn't create the right atmosphere, okay? You can tell your kids, listen, you can tell your kids to do this and do that, but if you create an atmosphere that in your house uh, uh, that, that, that where everything grows, the culture of your home, if it's, if it's uh, mean, if it's mean-spirited, but you expect your kids to be polite, that environment is going to lower your chances of equipping. If, if you have the right environment, but you don't care about friendships out here, that environment is going to push a, push a stiff arm against your equipping of the next generation. And Moses made it clear, God made it clear, they wandered to lose a generation, to prepare the next generation, and as they're lined up to take the promised land, God, here's what God says. These are the commands and decrees, the law of the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Law number one, so that, okay, so that your children, their children after them may fear the Lord your God. Fearing God is not about I'm afraid of what he'll do to me, Healthy fear of God is I'm concerned about how I might, how I might hurt God. I, I hurt God. Well, God is of utmost emotion. God cries over us. God can grieve over us. God, God hates it when we do the wrong thing. He just, oh, he's a, he's a heavenly father, he's a perfect father. And that we would fear the Lord like, like I, I want to be delicate that, that I'm not doing anything that not, so I'm afraid that you might hurt me, but, but I'm afraid that, that, I, that I wouldn't be the son or daughter that you want me to be. That, that's fearing the Lord. And he says, so that, that's what your children would do as long as you live by keeping all the decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may not just honor God, but that you may enjoy long life. God doesn't invite us to love him with all our heart, mind, and soul so that, well, he'll get what he wants out of the deal. It's so you get what you need out of the deal so that you may enjoy long life. And so Moses goes on to say, here's what God says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, ain't two, ain't four. He's one, he's three in one. He's the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but he's one. And here's what you do. Here's the biggest laws. Love him. Love him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Commands that I give you today, be on your hearts, impress them, love them, impress these things on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. And it's really hard to do all of that when you're also wrestling with the tension of all these roads leading to different opportunities to hear the wrong things, to observe the wrong things. And instead of when they lie down and when they get up and when they go to bed and when they drive along the road, when they sit down at a meal, instead of that, they kind of did their own thing. And it was a matter of time where we learn instead of doing these things, after they got into the promised land, the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. grew up in a culture that was supposed to honor God and be about God, and they didn't even know him. He had brought them out of Egypt, brought them through 
the Red Sea and through foodless wilderness providing manna in the desert. Crossed the Red Sea, crossed the Jordan, gives them the city of Jericho. And they grew up and they didn't even know the Lord. Why? Because they didn't impress it on them. They didn't really truly hand the baton to the next generation. Every single one of us are handing something to the next generation. You're handing them a hard time. You're handing them your political opinions. You're handing them your habits and hangups. God is saying, hand them a love for me first. Before you hand anything else to them, even, even, even just good old church attendance, because you can come to church and never understand the love of God, how much he truly loves you. So I want you to, I want you to see this. And what I want to talk about, I want to talk about the rest of the time, let's not talk about Israel, okay? Let's not talk about the establishing shot of, of them needing a king. Let, let's, talk about, let, let's talk about USA. Let's talk about USA. All right, and I don't mean USA, USA. I mean, let's talk about you, SA. I mean, you, homeboy. Let's talk about you, all right? Let's talk about you, let's talk about me. And the truth is that we may not have the Edomites and the Philistines, but here's what we do have all around us. We have observations that we make every single day day. You make observations without even knowing it. You walk in, you observe where, where you're going to sit in a Sunday morning without anything. You make observations the moment, maybe you're a guest in the room, one of our rooms. You made observations this morning when you pulled into one of our parking lots, when you got online or maybe joining us for the first time. What are they about? You're making observations. Uh, anybody ever do this when you go to the grocery store? You've got a handful of things and you go to uh, either the checkout, your self-checkout, or you go to, if there's no self-checkout, you go to the, the, the cashiers helping at the different lines, okay? You immediately look, you are observing for something. You're looking for what? What are you looking for? Short line. And if there's two short lines, what do you look for next? The person. You know it, and so do I. You look at the person doing the whole bleep, 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 bleep. If they're going like this, oh, I just love these uh, animals. <laughs> Bleep. Oh, these give me gas. Okay. Like, no, I'm looking for the guys like. That's what I'm looking for. I make an observation. And as I make an observation, I will form my opinions. I see an observation, I form an opinion, this is gonna be faster. You guys have known, you do that, you drive through Houston traffic sometime or drive through wherever there's busy traffic and things start slowing down and there's three or four lanes to choose from and you observe and you make an opinion and you get in the slowest one. <laughs> you thought you were gonna get past everybody, but you went, ah, and then you're stuck and then you're trying to squeeze in and they're not letting you, you're like, oh, 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 oh I'm, gonna, I'm gonna show you now, bless God, right? You're saying, you're, yeah, some of you, I know, I've seen you in the parking lot of the church. Observations, opinions, and many times that's what leads to opportunities. See, someone observed you, they formed an opinion about you. It's called, it's, it's called an interview. <laughs> they observe you, they form an opinion, 
And the opportunity to either work at that company or not work at that company is based on their observation and opinion. Your presentation of observation and opinion gives you opportunity. So I wanna say this to you. We're gonna back it up. Let's back it up. Back it up. Our culture, not only the next generation, but this generation, have we had, this is the power of, of media. This is the power of algorithms on social media that will feed you things they think you want to observe and observe and observe and observe and observe and things you don't wanna observe. This, this is the power around you of marketing and advertising. There's a reason, there's a reason why the algorithms lead you. I was looking at shoes in Dillard's the other day and I opened my phone and there was a advertisement because of my location for shoes right there on Facebook because Facebook knows me better than my wife knows me. And what can happen is those observations take place, forms opinions, begins to shift opportunities. And this is happening with who we're gonna serve, who we're gonna trust, who we're gonna love, who's gonna lead us, who we're gonna follow, what we're gonna believe, observations, opinions, opportunities, and on top of that, you and I have a real opposition. Not only is it you and your selfishness and me and my selfishness, but it is a true enemy that is like a lion that wants to steal and kill and destroy you. So don't you think the enemy would wanna surround you with all kinds of observations that may even feel benign right now? but have the power to become a cancer to you. Opinions that you begin to form that feel just like this is just my opinion, this is my truth, that has the capacity to keep you from really understanding the one true God. Opportunities that will be given to you based on observations and opinions that you knock, the opportunity knocks and you walk through that door and you look back and you say, why did I walk through that door? This is, this is what we look like. And this is the importance of making sure that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul. Because you are surrounded. Every day, you are surrounded. Write it down. And we are just one generation away from a culture that does not know the grace and goodness of Christ. We are easily away from one generation that doesn't understand the freedom that some of us have experienced in this nation. We're just one generation away. We're one movement away from something completely different. But all of that aside, if we don't understand the grace and the truth and the goodness of Jesus, we're gonna wander for a long time. And sometimes God says, that's okay. If you feel like America's wandering, it may be that God has us right where he wants us because we gotta learn a few lessons right now. We gotta learn some stuff. You think that God gives us lessons with slow motion runs through buttercups and daisies like Julie Andrews and the Sound of Music? No, it's deserts and valleys and tough times and manna in the desert. And man, I thought I was gonna get a five course meal. No, you need to eat some manna for a while, God says. Because you gotta understand this thing. Love me first. What do we love? What is our dream? To love God with all our heart? Or is it life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? 
Sometimes those things don't coincide with God's will. Sometimes God's will is saying, okay, you're going to go to Babylon for a while and still be a light in the middle of dark times. So we got an environment. We got the equip, equipping of the next generation. This is why, this is why we have doubled down on next generation here at Timber Creek. It's not because we don't value other generations. It's because we're trying to do what we feel God is showing people to do all throughout the Bible. Love everybody, equip the next generation. You and I get older every single day. We don't have to work at it. Guess what? Tomorrow you're going to be one day older. 10 years from now, you're going to feel like <laughs> 50's the new 40. No, 50's the new 50. That's what it is. It's always been that way. Always going to be that way. Oh, I feel young. I know, but you ain't. <laughs> like, you're, you're exactly how old you are. <laughs> That's a, it is how old you are. And we're just one generation away. The third piece is this. Not only did they have that, but then they had a repetitive cycle of spiritual wandering. So not only was it the physical wandering that God was showing them in the desert, he was always using some physical things to do a spiritual truth. He turns, Jesus turns water into wine. It's a physical thing, but he is showing you and me because he does it in, in, in washing pots. The Jews were designed, the first miracle Jesus does, he shows us, you try to get clean by all the religious rituals you do. All the washing pots to go to the temple, you take the water and you wash yourself. And he uses ceremonial washing pots full of water meant to wash you from the outside so that you can get to God. And the first miracle he does, hello, at a wedding for, of all places because he's the bridegroom and we're the bride. He shows us you don't wash yourself from the outside in. I'm going to turn this whole thing from water to wine and I'm going to wash you from the inside out a physical piece to show a spiritual truth. The wandering in the desert was a physical thing to show them you are, this is you in your heart. You're wandering in your heart. And this was the cycle. This was the wilderness they were going around. They would sin, which says, I'm going to, I'm going to reject your authority. That sin, sin always brings oppression. It always brings oppression bindedness, being bound, wrapped up. And when they feel that, when they feel that, they would repent. Oh God, we're sorry, we, we shouldn't have done that. This is like our kids too, isn't it? They do their own thing, let me live my life. And then they live their life. And then they go, oh man, this stinks. I don't got no money. I'm sorry, mom and dad, I'm sorry. And God would bring a judge or a savior that would connect the dots between their changing of their heart and their repentance to deliverance. Okay, we're sorry, God, help us. A savior would come, a judge, he would connect the dots to deliverance and then they would be delivered for a while, they would sing of the goodness of the Lord, they'd go to church and they'd have a potluck, but then they'd sin again. And then they'd be oppressed again. And this is the cycle, the downward cycle of the spiritual stock market. The spiritual wandering. It was up and down, but, but, but up and down and then down further and then down further. And this was the wandering they were doing. And so the book of Judges is the geography. It's the establishing shot of a solution. 
a solution to all their wandering, a solution to all their lack of equipping, the solution to all their environment. When God gave them all the solution, put me first, no other gods before me, drive out the enemy, equip the next generation, you're going to be good to go. You're going to be Gucci. This is God's Gucci plan. But what did Israel want instead? Israel's solution to weakness and wandering was strength and direction from a visible king. Oh, that's what'll do it. If we can just get a king to lead us, then the next generation's gonna be okay. Then all the stuff's gonna work out. Then we're gonna be able to figure out our enemies because we didn't drive them out in the first place. Then we're gonna be all right. Then we're gonna break the cycle, all this junk. I, we just need, we need, a, we need a vote on a king. We need to have a king appointed and anointed. Let's go. And that's what we're gonna see next week. That's what they begged for. Give us a king. And our very first week, we talked about a man named Elkanah who had two wives, complicated story, Penaniah and Hannah. Hannah couldn't get pregnant. Penny was pregnant all the time. Hannah got pregnant, gave that baby to the Lord. That, Lord, that, that baby grew up in the temple of God, became a priest, became a prophet, was the one who would anoint King Samuel. Next week, we'll learn how Samuel talks with God and struggles with what are these people doing? And yet God gives them what they ask for. Why would God give them something that wasn't good for them? You'll have to, you'll have to come back next week. See, God's solution to weakness and wandering is strength and direction from a personal God. You don't need a visible king. You need a personal God. We all should be active in our kids' lives. We all should be active in, I, I believe, uh, the national realities that are going on. But nothing can come before a heart after a personal God. That sounds good, Pastor, but how do you do that? How, how do you do that? It's pretty simple. God's already said it. We don't have to say, okay, God, help me. What, what's the solution? What's the strategy? He already said it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. He said it to them. He's saying it to us today. These commands are to be on you. Uh, impress them on your children. Talk about them. So listen, first step, like talk about them. Talk about them. I don't know what to talk about. That's what you say. I don't even know what to talk about, but let's talk about God. Let's talk about God. You take notes on a Sunday morning and you just talk about the notes. I had an incredible conversation. I thought they were from very good words. A friend of mine was having dinner a while back and they were talking about their experience at Timber Creek and how they'd never really been in church a lot. And what they liked about Timber Creek was that it made sense to them. And they said, man, every time I try to read the Bible, and this, this is what they said, it was a very spiritual, holy moment. They said, every time I try to read the Bible, I'm like, man, I can't understand that crap. And I said, I get it. A lot of people can't understand it. A lot of people can't. So how do you do it? You don't just like read the Bible and lack understanding. You take one piece at a time. And you just begin one step at a time. One little bit. Just It's like a next step at a time. And here are some next steps for all of us as families, all of us as moms and dads. Talk about them when you sit at home, walk along the road, lie down and get up. Pastor Cameron 
and talking about raising godly kids and being godly parents, he, he mentioned this in his sermon. He, he said, these things are sit at home, that's mealtime. And when you walk along the road, that's driving time. And when you lie down, that's bedtime. And when you get up, well, that's morning time. And these are all kinds of opportunities for us. But I don't know, I don't even know where to start. Guess where you start? Love the Lord your God because your strength must come from the Lord's mighty power within you. It's not about biting your bottom lip and trying to say the right thing or read the right scripture. It just says, God, I love you and I don't even know what to say, but I want to do more for the next generation and I I don't want to have the wrong environment around me and I I don't want to be in a repetitive cycle of sin and so I just want to love you more and more and if you'll love him more and more and just love him and just lean on him and love him and trust him and lean on him and love him and trust him and lean on him. Eventually you begin to build the muscles, not of yourself, but of him in you. Christ in me is so much bigger than anything around me. And your strength must come from him inside. And so look, here's you and here's me. Here's you, S.A., And we put all that into the background because that's never going away. It's not like, okay, well, let's just put them in Christian school. <laughs> Only listen to Stephen Curtis Chapman. Saddle up your horses. I mean, you can do that. But notice that God doesn't wrap his people in bubble tape, in bubble wrap. He gives them the opportunity to live right out there in the desert. But he gives them what they need. He shows them the path. He provides the supernatural. I wish St. Patrick's Day was better known beyond wearing green and drinking beer because St. Patrick was an incredible man of God. And one of the famous prayers of St. Patrick that he would pray over himself and pray over others. Several different lines, and here's how they go. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right and Christ on my left. When I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, and Christ in every ear that hears me. And if Jesus will be the center, and he'll be above and below and behind and in and around you and for you, never against you, he's got a plan for you, and he'll be with you, and he'll keep you, and he'll give you love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Jesus, if you find that he's all you got, he's all you need, everybody in the middle of a crazy environment, in the middle of not knowing what to do with the next generation. It all starts with surrounding us with the one true personal God who is the real and only King. Would you pray with me today as you close your eyes and bow your heads? Maybe you feel surrounded. God's got a plan feel overwhelmed. God's got his eye on you.
He's never left you. You feel burdened. He says, cast your care on me. You feel broken. He says, I came to, to help broken people. I fix broken things. And maybe right now, you're in this room and you need to maybe just lift a hand toward heaven. As God lifts a hand out of heaven and touches your hand even now, God, I need you. I'm surrounded, I'm overwhelmed, but I give you everything today. I trust you for tomorrow. I trust you for what happened yesterday. I trust you. Be my king. Be my guide. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I lean on you today. May I not lean on all the visible things like Israel wanted. But God, thank you for loving me first, showing me what love is, and I just want to love you back. Love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. If that's your prayer today, would you say amen?